Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. This is part of our group learning program where we meet on Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Thai time right here, either in Facebook, YouTube, all the other places that we distribute our content and in our Zoom interactive classroom. On Sundays, we spend time to dive into a certain chapter in the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. This is our guide in order to help us to learn and understand the teachings and then practice those to train the mind towards this enlightened mental state where the mind will be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. And then on Wednesdays, we rotate between breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and Buddhist chanting. And on Wednesdays, we also spend some time having discussion with any questions that you guys may have in your personal practice, understanding the teachings or meditation or anything that you would like to get help with in terms of progressing on this path. Because this path to enlightenment, while you need teachers and guides as assistants, it truly is an independent journey. It's you taking the effort, the time, and the energy to pursue this path of learning and diving into the teachings so that you can practice them and see the truth for yourself. There's nothing in Gautama Buddha's teachings that is based on belief. It's not about believing the teachings and just believing that they're true and some beneficial result will happen for you long in the distant future, perhaps when you die, What the Buddhist teachings are about is training the mind right now so that you can experience the benefits right now. And through learning and practicing his teachings to discover the truth, then the mind acquires wisdom. The mind then functions through this newfound wisdom, this new training that you decide to undertake. And through that training, you eradicate from the mind what we call the three poisons which are craving, anger, ignorance. And part of that is eradicating the self and the ego. We also eliminate things like the 10 fetters, which is something we covered in previous chapters. And then we also cultivate various aspects in the mind. So as part of this training to move from the unenlightened mind to the enlightened mind, you are actively eliminating certain unwholesome qualities from the mind and you're cultivating certain wholesome qualities in the mind. And that's what we're going to do today with breathing mindfulness meditation. We're going to eliminate this aspect of the mind that has craving, 
desire, attachment. We also call it greed as part of the three poisons. So this external searching and seeking, looking for pleasure externally, the mind grabs on and it craves permanence and it wants certain things. It has this mental longing with a strong eagerness, looking for satisfaction externally. But the mind just continues to find struggles and frustration because there's nothing external that the mind can latch onto that's going to bring it permanent peacefulness. Because the peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that is the enlightened mental state is not external. It's not pursuing wealth or a certain job or a certain boyfriend or girlfriend or certain possession. Of course, we're going to have these things in our life and we need those things in our life potentially. But if the mind is attaching its peacefulness on these objects of its affection and it's just craving, 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 wanting, desiring, expecting things to be a certain way, then it's going to lead to discontentedness. The mind is going to ultimately experience discontent feelings because of this yearning and this external searching, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. So it's in breathing mindfulness meditation that we train the mind to eliminate this quality or this aspect of the mind where it's constantly searching outside of itself for satisfaction. And this takes time. Meditation is not an, an instant quick fix. It's about developing a life practice that through daily practice, you're gradually chipping away at this craving, desire, attachment. And one of the other things that we're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation, aside from eliminating this craving, desire, attachment, is we're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind. Because what meditation is, is it's a dedicated, active, independent training session where you're either eliminating certain aspects of the mind or you're cultivating certain qualities in the mind. And through breathing mindfulness meditation, we're eliminating that aspect of the mind where it wants to search externally for satisfaction, this craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness, and we're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind because awareness of mind is part of this path to enlightenment it's part of the eightfold path it's the seventh step in this path that the buddha gave to us and shared with us awareness of mind is utterly important because what you're doing in this path to enlightenment is you're purifying the mind you're training the mind to eliminate those unwholesome qualities and cultivate the wholesome qualities. So you need to have awareness of the mind and what's in the mind. You need to observe these unwholesome qualities and eradicate those. You need to observe these wholesome qualities and bring those into the mind and support them and encourage them. Without awareness of mind, you would be unable to actually train and purify the mind because you have no idea or no awareness of what's actually in the mind. So this word mindfulness is used quite a bit in our modern language, but oftentimes it's being used in referencing other things. It's almost like, you know, I will mindfully chat with somebody or I will mindfully put my phone down. It's almost like people are using this word as kind of like to mean careful. 
I will carefully place my phone down. I will mindfully place my phone down. I will carefully do it. But that's not how the Buddha describes mindfulness, and that's not what we need. Sure, we need to be careful in our life and ensure that we're not causing harm, but this word mindfulness is all about awareness of mind that as you're in meditation, you become aware of the thoughts, the ideas, the perceptions. You become aware of the mind moving to the past, moving to the future, and you're training it, this active training in meditation during your meditation session. And this becomes very, very helpful for you to bring the mind into the present moment and root it in the present moment. Because when we actually do our meditation, what we're going to be doing is as our mind goes to the past or the future, or as you have thoughts or ideas or perceptions, you're going to cut those off. You're going to let them go. You're going to focus the mind on the breath. The breath is that fixed location, the fixating the mind on the breath, because the breath is the present moment. So we're going to let go of the past. We're going to let go of the future. We're going to let go of this thoughts and ideas and perception and training the mind to come to the breath. And over time of training the mind in this way, you will gain more and more control of the mind. We're not trying to forget the past necessarily. We're not trying to necessarily not focus on the future and have goals and objectives and interests. We're not trying to necessarily eliminate thoughts. What we're trying to do is we're trying to gain control over this mind so that the mind doesn't control us. So if there's all these thoughts and ideas and chatter in the mind, it's just like, whoa, it's too much. It's because you're not able to control it. But over time of training the mind in this way that as you're in meditation, as these various thoughts, ideas, perceptions, the past or the future enters into the mind, you just, where you notice that, you cut that off or you let it go and bring the mind to the breath. The breath is the present moment. And the more you do this over repeated sessions, you'll get better and better and better at keeping the mind fixated in the present moment on the breath. And now when you do this over multiple sessions in your practice, you're then able to control the mind in daily life. So when things happen in daily life where anger arises, you're able to control that. You're able to cut that off, let it go and bring the mind to the breath. Or if frustration or irritation or guilt or shame or fears arise, you're able to cut that off and let it go, bringing the mind to the breath. As happiness or excitement or elation arises in the mind, these things are impermanent. And if you allow the mind to reside there, eventually it's going to become sad, anger, and frustrated because you're allowing the mind to go off in one direction. So where you see happiness, excitement, elation, you can cut that off and bring the mind to the breath. Or where you experience boredom and loneliness and shyness and resentment and jealousy, where you see those things, you can then cut it off and bring the mind to the breath. The more that you've trained it in meditation, you will get better and better at cutting off and letting go of these thoughts in daily life because you now have gained control over the mind through training it in meditation. As you do this more and more over months and years, what you will notice is that eventually learning the teachings of the Buddha 
and practicing all the various teachings that he shares, those discontent feelings of anger or sadness or guilt or shame or excitement and elation, that boredom, loneliness, jealousy, resentment, it won't actually arise anymore because you will gain such control through learning and practicing the teachings and having this deep wisdom, you will get to the point where something will happen and the mind will just reside completely peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because it no longer experiences this discontentedness. What the Buddhist teachings are all about is the elimination of discontent feelings or the cessation of discontentedness. He talked about this in his very first talk when he came back to the area where he started teaching, he basically explained how the mind causes itself to be discontent. Because you're causing your own anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, all these discontent feelings are being caused by you. You have the ability to eliminate those feelings because they're being caused by you. If you're just starting out and this is the first time you've ever heard me talk about this or you've never really explored Gautama Buddha's teachings before, right now you may think that other people are causing you to be angry or certain situations or experiences are causing you to be angry or frustrated. But when you dive into these teachings, not just meditation, but when you dive deep into the teachings, you will realize that it's actually you that are causing these discontent feelings in the mind. That's what the unenlightened mind does. But the more you train it and move it towards this enlightened mental state, these discontent feelings won't even arise anymore. But it takes time to move the mind and train the mind in that direction. You're going to need guidance. You're going to need help. So that's why I offer all these resources at no cost. You can download this book. You can get the audio book. You can listen to videos and podcasts. You can take these online training classes. You can get personal guidance with me. All of these various things are available for you so that you can train the mind and move it in this direction of enlightenment where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And meditation is just one aspect of that. Oftentimes, people put a lot of emphasis on meditation, and meditation is highly important. It's an important part of the path but it's only one step of the entire Eightfold Path. If all anyone ever did was meditated, they wouldn't actually attain enlightenment. But if somebody never meditated, they wouldn't attain enlightenment there either. So enlightenment is required to train the mind through meditation, but it's not the only thing that you need. You need teachings. You need to practice the entire path. You need guidance from a teacher. So that's why I offer these classes and all these resources to help you progress on this path. And the beauty is because none of this is based on belief, you will gradually observe the mind moving from this discontent, unenlightened mental state where it's experiencing sadness, anger, frustration, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, all these discontent feelings, you will observe how the condition of the mind gradually improves as you undergo more and more training in this independent journey. And part of this independent journey is seeking guidance from teachers. So 
I would like to kind of pause here and give you guys a chance to ask any questions on anything that I've covered and discussed before we actually do meditation together today. Hi, David. So we have a question from Amina. What if we do not feel that the mind is consistently getting better at cutting off the thoughts during meditation? Should we simply see that as impermanence? Yes, you're going to go through kind of these waves, right? Where you experience and you feel in the mind like, wow, I'm making all this progress. You can feel all the changes occurring. You can notice that things are becoming more clear and concentrated in the mind. And you just feel like there's all these shifts and realizations in the mind. And then you can kind of feel like you've plateaued for a bit. And you're like, ah, I'm not getting like all the benefits that I once experienced. So your meditation practice itself is impermanent. You're going to go through periods of deep insight and lots of realizations and feel like you're getting all kinds of benefit and great improvements. But then things might actually kind of plateau a little bit for you and you kind of feel like, ah, I'm kind of like not feel like I'm not making as much progress. It's important not to have expectations during that time that you should expect certain things to happen in a certain way, but instead stay dedicated to this life practice of learning and practicing the teachings, because then at some point, wherever it is, you'll start growing again and there'll start being growth again, but you can't give up. You have to just continue to progress because it's not this complete upward trajectory to enlightenment. There's all these kind of bobs and weaves and twists and turns. It's not just a straight line to enlightenment. So during those times where you feel like you're not making as much benefit, yeah, just recognize that your practice is impermanent. Meditation is impermanent. Don't have expectations because expectations is just another word for craving, desire, attachment, wanting, expecting. The mind is longing and having this strong eagerness for something that it doesn't have. And that's what causes the mind to be discontent, that it wants something other than what it exists. So part of attaining enlightenment is just being satisfied with what is. Just be satisfied with what is. I go to this restaurant, I really had my heart set on getting some spaghetti, but they're out of spaghetti today. So I guess I've got to eat soup, right? Or I've got to eat you know, something else, vegetable curry or whatever, right? So if our mind is expecting something and it's craving something, if it has this longing with a strong eagerness, it's going to cause discontentedness. Even if we have longing and strong eagerness for meditation, or we have longing and strong eagerness for certain benefits or improvements in our practice, that's going to cause discontentedness as well. So we've got to just eliminate all that longing and outward searching and just be satisfied with what is. Should meditation always be enjoyable, David? And should we seek to enjoy meditation as a way to guide how we approach it? If you're seeking to enjoy meditation, then the mind is still searching for that external pleasure. It's latching its contentedness on this external thing of meditating and if it doesn't get what it wants if it doesn't get that enjoyment then it's going to be discontent so you shouldn't look for enjoyment in meditation but just know that it's a practice that you need to do just like you brush your teeth you know just like you take a shower every day just like you do any kind of good wholesome activity to take care of the physical body you're taking care of the mind and the meditation is a way to just take care of the mind you're 
brushing your teeth, you're washing your body, you're cleaning out the mind. That's what meditation is all about. So it's not about necessarily enjoying meditation, but just knowing that you need to do it as part of a good daily practice. And this enjoyment that the mind is seeking is just going to lead to discontentedness at some point in the future. So if you're searching for this external pleasure and enjoyment in meditation, then it's not always going to be pleased because sometimes in meditation, it can get pretty rough, right? It can get pretty difficult. We think about sometimes this path to enlightenment. When I describe enlightenment as peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, ah, it sounds wonderful. It sounds like, you know, this beautiful rainbow waiting for you and it should just be so comfortable to just walk down the street and enjoy this rainbow of peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But awakening the mind to enlightenment can get kind of dark sometimes. It can get kind of challenging. And as you're experiencing that darkness and working through some of the traumas of the past and letting go some of the challenges that you've experienced in the past can get pretty difficult. And that's where a teacher comes in, that if you reach out to your teacher, they can actually help you. But if you have this expectation that this path to enlightenment is all going to be enjoyable and it's nothing but pleasure and it's walking towards the rainbow, then when things get difficult, then you might get shaken up a bit. So you've got to realize that this path to enlightenment, while it will be fun, it will be enjoyable, there'll be certain aspects of it that'll be like, wow, that's really wonderful, that's really great. It's not going to be permanently enjoyment. It's not gonna be permanent pleasure. What you're trying to do is train the mind not to seek that pleasure. So what you're trying to do is bring it to the middle where it can perform optimally, where it's no longer searching for these external pleasures. It's that pleasure seeking, whether it's some addiction or some feeling of people saying kind things to you or uh, some accomplishment that the mind's looking for or some possession or some friendship that the mind is searching for externally. And if it just gets this one thing, the mind feels like it will be satisfied, but it's not because it keeps searching and searching and searching for the next thing. So oftentimes this path can be the next thing that the mind is looking for. And if you assign enjoyment and pleasure to the path, then the mind's gonna at some point be discontent. So while there will be enjoyment and there will be fun along the path, it's a matter of not allowing the mind to grasp onto that and long for it and expect it, but to just be satisfied with what is. That's great, thank you, David. We have a question from Manal. Should I look for signs of progress along my path as I continue to develop a life practice? I find myself looking for a sign or looking for markers of where I may be. In fact, when I was Buddha Rajana sent from you, I thought in my mind, let me pick one book of the many which are in this set, thumb through one random page and blindly place my finger on one sentence. Quite interestingly, I believe it was in book four the passage my finger rested on stated not to look for such a thing. It was funny. I still subconsciously seek some form of reassurance. Yeah, so, you know, this is the ego, right? This is the ego wanting significance. This is the pride. You know, the, the mind wants to feel prideful that you're making progress on this path. 
while it can be motivating to see that the mind is progressing and have kind of independent verification of that, you should have that, right? You should see that the mind's becoming more peaceful in certain situations. And that peacefulness is expanding gradually over time in more and more situations and more and more relationships. But if you're constantly looking for that reassurance, that's the ego wanting significance. That's the mind wanting this prideful confirmation where you've got to get to a point where you just know and have confidence that these are good, wholesome teachings. And by learning and practicing these teachings, you know that you're on the right path and you're just going to gradually learn and practice these teachings and train it to walk forward not always looking for that constant reassurance because that constant reassurance isn't going to be there all the time that's the mind craving that's the craving desire attachment the wanting the expectations where the mind has this mental longing for a strong eagerness for some confirmation and You've got to eliminate that and just know that I'm on the path. I'm going to focus on these good, wholesome teachings. I'm going to learn. I'm going to practice. I'm going to do the things that I need to do in order to improve the wisdom in the mind. I'm going to seek help. I'm going to do meditation and I'm going to make progress and just pursue this path as a goal, as an objective or as an interest, but not with that strong passion or determination or even that subtle wanting of reassurance that things are going well just know that things are going well and they're going to get better you just got to stay committed to it and have confidence that you're continuing to progress and learning and practicing the teachings as a follow-up david what do you think the buddha meant when he taught us to strive in as far as how accurate that may be as a translation because presumably he didn't mean crave he didn't mean desire but he did use this quite or some quite strong word, which was translated as strive. Yeah, so one of the biggest challenges that you face, particularly early on, and it can happen you know, throughout your, your journey at different times, is complacency. Complacency is one of the biggest detrimental hindrances to enlightenment, where the mind just kind of sits back, you know, just kind of like, isn't really that interested it's not really motivated to do meditation you know when you're trying to first get started you may kind of like remember to meditate every three or four days or even if you do remember you kind of push it to the back and ah, i'd rather be chatting on facebook or i'd rather be uh doing something else and this complacency can really hinder you in picking up the teachings and actually learning and practicing them so to me when i see the word strive what I think is eradicate complacency, is pursue this path with interest and with energy. As part of the seven factors of enlightenment, the Buddha talks about how we should actively work to investigate the teachings. And through investigating the teachings, it kind of springs up this vigor in the mind. And it kind of like springs up this arising of this real interest to pursue this path. And he also talks in the seven factors of enlightenment about this factor of energy, just call it energy, where it's like mental alertness and vigor, right? So oftentimes what happens is the mind is complacent. And wherever I see the Buddha talks about, you know, strive towards enlightenment, what he's talking about is eradicate complacency 
don't just sit back and just think that enlightenment is going to just happen for you just by happen chance but just really pursue it oftentimes we are our own worst enemy right you know you've kind of all have experienced that negative self-talk in the mind that just wants to keep you down in the dumps and keep you feeling bad, keep you feeling lonely, keep you feeling bored. We just kind of sit there and mope around and we don't feel good about our life and all the struggles that we're encountering. And we just think that, oh, life is so horrible and kind of miserable. And if you've ever felt that way in your life, then the mind can drop off and become somewhat complacent. So it's important that when you experience that, that you practice these enlightenment factors of investigation, where you actively investigate the teachings. That's with reading the book, with listening to the audiobook, the podcast, the videos, and all these other resources that you have. Come to class, investigate the teachings, and then also practice this mental vigor or alertness of mind. And this is what will help you to strive leaving behind complacency and eradicating that complacency. But then understanding this middle way that the Buddha talked about, you also have to be sure you don't overshoot that and you don't move into craving, desiring, attaching, having this mental longing, this wanting, this expecting, this strong eagerness for improvement. And gosh, I just got to be enlightened by next week or next month or in the next three months. So you got to find that middle where the mind isn't complacent, but it also isn't so aggressively pursuing this path that the mind can be right in the middle where you just do your daily work, you know, devote some time each day uh, or throughout your week to learning the teachings, to understanding the teachings, to practicing them and seeing that they're the truth and devoting time to meditation and just doing that consistently almost like a drip feed, like an IV is kind of drip feeding into your, your body. You're just kind of drip feeding the teachings into the mind and just kind of gradually training it in the direction of enlightenment. Because enlightenment to me is more like a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? It's not a real quick sprint to enlightenment. It's this gradual progression and you've got to really kind of pace yourself or you can burn out and kind of give up, especially if you put a lot of significance or expectations of enjoyment and pleasure on this path and you reach a couple of rough spots through this sprinting, then there's a tendency to go back to complacency. So you've got to find this middle where there isn't complacency, but there isn't this you know, strong determination and passion and just, gosh, I got to have it right now. But find that middle where it's just consistent, gradual progression towards enlightenment. Thank you, David. We have no more questions at the moment. Okay, so let's go ahead and do some meditation. On Sunday, we're going to dive into chapter 11 of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And in that chapter, it's devoted to meditation 100%, where we go through all different aspects, the various positions, the types of meditations that you need to attain enlightenment, all the various things that you need to be thinking about in terms of developing your practice of meditation. But what today is about is about just practicing meditation, just doing breathing mindfulness meditation. So I'm going to give you just kind of like a short little introduction so that we can actually get into meditation and benefit from it. 
And then if there's more questions you guys have either about meditation or any of the other aspects of this path, we can talk about it at the end. So when you're first learning to meditate, or even if you've been meditating a while, one of the preferred positions to meditate in is the seated position. So if that's the position that you would like to go to, go ahead and get in your seated position, either in a chair or on the floor or something like that. There's also other positions of lying, standing, and walking, but seated is oftentimes the preferred method. So if you're in a chair, just have your lower body nice and comfortable. You know, where you put your feet is up to you. Some people like to put them flat on the floor. Some people like to cross them. This isn't about everybody doing it exactly the same. This is about finding what works best for you and then don't be attached to it because it's probably gonna change over time. So your lower body should be comfortable with your feet either crossed or flat on the floor. If you're on the floor, you're probably gonna need to put some cushions under your rear and kind of get your rear up higher to reduce that angle on your hip and your knees so that you don't have a lot of tension in your lower body. Your upper body, the spine should be erect so that you're using the muscles in your upper body. So don't lean back on a sofa or a chair because the mind's gonna have a tendency to disengage. We wanna keep the mind active and attentive during meditation. So by erecting the spine and engaging the muscles in the upper body, it's gonna keep the mind actively engaged. And then the hands and the arms, there's lots of different options here. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left with his thumbs together, and then he placed that in his lap. So if you'd like to do that, you can do that. But if that's not comfortable for you, there's lots of other options. Again, it's not about everyone doing this the same, it's about finding what works for you. So if you'd like to put your palms on your thighs or on your knees, or you wanna put your arms on the armrest, wherever your hands and arms feel comfortable, where the muscles are disengaged. You don't wanna engage the muscles, you just kind of want everything to be relaxed, except for this middle part of your body, the trunk of your body should be engaged and erect. So once you've got the physical body in a position that feels comfortable, but not luxurious, now you would like to close the eyes and start to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. This is the breath, breathing in and out. What you'd like to do is just establish a nice, steady, consistent breath. Don't try to force your breath, don't try to control it, but just have a nice, steady, natural breath. And then bring the mind to the breath. The breath is the fixation that you want to fix the mind on. The sound of the breath or the sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose. So I'm just going to leave you here just for a few moments to just establish the breath of breathing in through the nose and out through the nose to get your mind fixated on that breath and then I'll come back with some more guidance.
Right, with the mind focused on the breath, I'm going to do some chanting just to kind of ease us down into meditation. If you know these chants, you're welcome to join along. And then I'll come back with some guidance to help you further your meditation practice. consistent breath, just a natural breath. As you're breathing in and out, focus the mind on the breath. The breath is your anchor. This is the present moment. The breath 
is the present moment. But the mind is going to want to wander. It's going to want to go to the past, the future. It's going to have various thoughts, ideas, perceptions. Wherever you notice that, just cut it off. Let it go. No need to feel guilty or shameful. You haven't done anything wrong. This is just the unenlightened mind doing what it loves to do. It wanders around searching for something to grab onto. It's looking to the past, looking to the future. It's looking for these thoughts, ideas, perceptions. It's longing. It has this strong eagerness searching externally but you're going to bring it back to the breath wherever you notice that it's wandering at whatever point you notice that it's wandering just cut it off and bring the mind to the breath the present moment there's no need to judge your thoughts figure out where they're coming from or labeling your thoughts in any way. Just as soon as you observe that the mind is not on the breath, just cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind to the breath, the present moment. In the present moment, the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But if the mind is longing or it's wandering, it can't be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's only in the present moment that it can experience that permanent mental state of enlightenment. So I'm going to let you sit with your breath because I don't even want your mind to focus on my voice. It needs to just come to the breath. If it's holding on to my voice, it's just replacing whatever thoughts that might arise by holding on to my voice. So I'm going to let you be on your own and just focus on the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath.
guys would like to slowly start coming out of meditation just kind of ease the mind back okay so if you guys have any questions on anything we've been covering in this program or anything that we've been discussing here today you're welcome to ask those questions let me just share that if during meditation your mind did have thoughts and there was wandering, that's completely normal. The goal is to train the mind to come back to the breath. And by doing that more and more and more, you will gain better and better control over the mind. If the entire time you were meditating, it was just nothing but chatter, 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 that's normal too. You were still meditating you were still working on eliminating this craving, desire, attachment. You were 
creating and developing, cultivating this mindfulness or awareness of mind because you knew your mind was chatter and you just felt and experienced all this chatter. So sometimes when people are starting out meditating or they get to a certain point in their practice and all they get is chatter, they think that, oh, I can't meditate. You know, I need to give up because I can't do it good. But there is no expectation of what your meditation should or shouldn't be. You're looking to just constantly be able to bring the mind back to the breath. So if you noticed that you had chatter in the mind and the mind was really busy and active, that's mindfulness. That's awareness of mind. And that's a good understanding for you to have. It's a good realization for you to have. So don't feel like you've done anything wrong or that you're not good at meditation or anything like that. Use that as motivation, that chatter, that active mind. Use that as motivation that, ah, I need to meditate. I need to keep meditating more and more and more to reduce that chatter. And if you notice that your mind wandered into pleasant feelings or into the painful feelings or into the past or into the future, and it took you a good five or 10 minutes before you realized it and you cut it off and then brought it the mind back to the breath, that's fine too. That's just where you are right now today in your practice. But the goal is to just keep working at this and evolving this where at least once a day, twice a day, or three times a day, you are moving the mind through meditation, that you're training it to eliminate this craving, desire, attachment, and cultivate this awareness of mind. So just keep working at it. There's no specific time that you need to be meditating for. I think what you'll notice is the closer you get to 30 minutes, the more benefit that you'll notice in the mind. But I don't even time meditation. I don't time how long I've actually been meditating. Because if you set an alarm, oftentimes the mind is going to just sit there and think 20 minutes yet 20 minutes yet 20 minutes yet or 30 minutes yet 30 minutes yet 40 minutes yet for it's just going to have this longing for is it time yet to finish so if you just get rid of the alarm and not focus on timing your sessions then you can just focus on the breath and not have the mind wander and think about how long you've been meditating and even if you did time your meditations, you know, what would you do with that information? It's kind of erroneous, irrelevant information anyway. So just sink down into meditation, get your meditation started, focus on that breath, and then just go for as long as you feel like is appropriate. Closer you get to 30 minutes-ish, you'll notice more and more benefit. But if you only have five or 10 minutes, that's fine. That's where you're at. That's where you're starting at. Or if you end up getting an hour or two hours, okay, that's fine too. It's not about comparing how long you've been meditating to how other people are meditating. This is your journey. This is an independent journey. And each time you meditate, it's going to be different. There's going to be different experiences. It's going to be a different length of time. You're going to notice different things. This is impermanence. So don't try to kind of have this fixed amount of time that you always meditate for because that's the mind craving permanence and it's longing and the strong eagerness for a specific time. Just start your meditation, ease into it, and then just ease back out of it 
whatever amount of time it was, it was. Because what you're going for is you're going for the results. When you're done meditating, the mind should be more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Or sometimes it's going to be busy and you're going to notice that and it's going to be really chattery. Or there's going to be painful thoughts that arise during meditation and you might be left with those at the end of meditation. And that's okay. You're kind of cleaning out the mind. Or you might have certain pleasant thoughts that arise in the mind during meditation and you're left with that. Or there might be feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. And those arise during meditation and you're left with those. The goal is to just continue to develop this consistent, dedicated practice over many weeks and months and years where it becomes just part of your life. Just like you brush your teeth every day, you meditate. And you need to ramp that practice up slowly but surely. There'll be days where you won't meditate. You can't permanently meditate every single day. So if you miss a day here or there, don't feel guilty, don't feel shameful, just re-engage and just keep working at it each day. Work on either once, twice, or three times a day meditating. So let's see what questions you guys have. We have a question from Amina. While our eyelids are closed, is there a particular direction where our, our eyes should focus, like between the eyes or up or down? No, just relax the eyes. Just let them go wherever they're going to go. Uh, you don't want to even engage any muscles in the eyes to move them around. Just completely relax every single muscle, except for those ones in the middle of the body where you're erecting the spine. So even the muscles in the eyes, just completely relax them. This is something I need to remember actually, David. I think for me, one telltale sign that I may be trying a bit too hard is that my eyes start to come a bit tense. And so it's something to work on, I think, is just consciously relaxing the eyes. The more that you relax the mind and you just let things go, then the mind will then help to relax things like the eyes or if you're feeling tension in any part of your body, oftentimes you want to try to direct attention to the muscle to try to release it. But in reality, you've just got to relax the mind and then that'll relax any part of the body that's feeling tension. Got it. Thank you. Amina also asks, if we have a weak back, is it okay to use a pillow for support at the back? Or is that too relaxed of a posture to engage the meditation? Yeah, if you need just a little bit of support there, go for it. Just be sure that you maintain the active, attentive mind. Ensure that the mind isn't just kind of becoming complacent in its meditation and just kind of being lackadaisical, but it maintains that alertness, that attentiveness, because then you can actively train the mind in meditation. You know, sometimes we think about going for a walk and we're meditating or we're jogging, we're meditating, we're gardening or we're walking the dog and meditating. But what meditation is, is this active, independent, dedicated, purposeful training session where we're actively eliminating certain qualities or actively cultivating those. So we need to keep the mind active and attentive. So if you need a little bit of support in the back, but you can maintain your attentiveness of mind, then that's completely fine. We have a question from Linda. When you say to focus on the breath, do we count for a certain number in and out? Or is that chatter? Yeah, that's just giving the mind something else to grab onto. Some people will say that you should count, or here in Thailand they use pu to pu 
toe. There's all these different labeling and judging thoughts and some people will play music and all these different things. Remember the unenlightened mind, it wants to grab onto something. It wants to hold on. And if we're letting go of the past, we're letting go of the future, the thoughts, ideas, and perceptions, but we're grabbing onto counting or we're grabbing onto this poo, toe, poo, toe, or we have music playing, or you even have a guidance, like somebody constantly talking to you during the meditation, then all that's happening is the mind is replacing those other erroneous thoughts and it's grabbing onto the voice of the guidance or it's grabbing onto the counting or some other thing, this labeling that some people do. You've got to get to the point where it's just the body, the mind, and the breath. Just the body, the mind, and the breath. Those are the only three things you need to meditate and focus the mind only on the breath. No counting, no music, no beads that you need to count. Just the body, the mind, and the breath. And just fixating the mind on that breath. And it might mean that when you first start, you can only meditate five or ten minutes and it becomes too challenging for you because this is more of the way that the Buddha meditated is the way that I'm teaching you. So he didn't count his breath. He didn't count beads. He didn't play music, right? He didn't do all these things that have kind of come into fruition nowadays. It was just the body, the mind, and the breath. So if you only get five or 10 minutes, it's better to have that five or 10 minutes of just focusing on the breath than 30 minutes or an hour of listening to music while you're meditating or listening to some guidance while you're meditating because over time that five or ten minutes will grow more and more and more so just stay focused on the breath nothing else don't replace those thoughts that the mind wants to long for and has a strong eagerness for that the mind wants to grab onto don't replace it with something else like music or counting or something else like that we have a question from randall when do you recommend walking meditation for students? I've been fighting sleepiness a bit lately, and I noticed that moving to a standing position can be temporarily helpful. Do you think that walking meditation can be helpful for this as well? Yes, I recommend walking meditation if the mind is sleepy. If the mind's sleepy, you can just go to sleep and make sure you get rest. But you've got to make sure that you're also getting your training going as well. So if every time you meditate, the mind keeps getting sleepy, be sure you proactively get good sleep and you choose times where the mind is more alert to meditate. But also, if you're noticing mid-session or whatever that the mind becomes sleepy, yeah, you can use walking meditation for that. So it's good in that situation. It's also good in the situation where the mind is too active. So if the mind is too sleepy, too complacent, it kind of becomes more invigorating for the mind to do walking meditation. But also if the mind is too active and too energetic, and the last thing that you would think about is sitting down to meditate, you know, the mind would be too busy to do that, too active. You can actually do walking meditation to bring the mind to the middle. And you can just do standalone walking meditation for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, however long you plan to do that. Or what some people like to do is they'll do walking meditation first if they notice their mind's active and then try to sit for a period of time and see how that goes. If the mind becomes overactive 
or it becomes too sleepy, stand up again, you know, do walking meditation. So you can actually switch positions during your meditation session. You don't have to just stick with the same position all the way through your meditation. So you can use walking for sleep if it's too sleepy or if the mind's too overactive, it'll help bring the mind to the middle. What tips can you share, David, for best carrying mindfulness with us after meditation into daily life? Are there any actions or choices we can make in daily life to help cultivate mindfulness? Yeah, so remember, mindfulness is awareness of mind, being aware of the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions, the perceptions, aware if the mind's going to the past or it's going to the future, just awareness of the mind. That's what mindfulness is. So if in your daily life, you're trying to do many things at one time, like multitasking, your mind can't be in the present moment because it's trying to do multiple things at a time. So to create this mindfulness or this singleness of mind, this awareness of mind, you want to always root the mind in the present moment. So don't try to multitask and do multiple things at one time because you're actually training the mind to do something that it doesn't naturally do anyway. You're still doing just one thing at a time. You're just putting them so close together, you think you're doing three, four, five, six things at a time. So don't train it to have the delusion that it actually is doing six things at one time because you're really not. You're just putting them so close together and rapidly cycling the mind that it thinks it's doing all of these things at one time, but it's really not. So don't multitask. And then when you're involved in conversations and you're involved in activities, just really focus on that one activity. So like if I'm talking to you now and say it was just a one person conversation and now my son comes to talk to me, I'm either going to talk to you or I'm going to put a pause on that mentally and then turn and talk to my son and address that and then turn and come back to this conversation because you always want to be focused on just one thing at a time. And you may think that this is going to slow things down and it's going to make life more difficult. You're not going to get things accomplished that you need to get accomplished. But this is just the mind wanting to race and wanting, wanting, having this longing and strong eagerness to get so many things done in one day. But in reality, because you're trying to race through life and you're just trying to get all these things accomplished, you're not making good, wholesome decisions in every situation. So that means as you plow through your day, you're making decisions that are actually causing harm and causing problems. So therefore, you're going to have to spend more time cleaning it up later anyway. So if you just do one thing at a time and the mind is present in the present moment with this awareness of mind, now you can have really good conversations personally, professionally. You can make really good decisions on anything that you're needing to make decisions about. And you can ensure that you don't have to spend all this enormous amount of time trying to clean things up later. So by slowing things down and just focusing on one thing at a time, you're actually going to notice you're more productive. It sounds counterintuitive. It seems like if you race through life and do a lot of things in one day, you should be able to get more things done. But you're not doing them all with great quality. And that's why you're struggling trying to hurry up and get all these things done. And then you got to circle back and actually solve the problems that you created because you were moving so fast in your day. So if you just take things 
slowly but surely and just make one good decision after another, you'll be able to make better wholesome decisions, which will have better wholesome results. And as you ramp up on the Buddhist teachings more and more on this eightfold path, these teachings will become first nature for you. The Buddha talks in his teachings about how as you get underway and you start putting this entire Eightfold Path in practice, he talks about this pondering and contemplating that the mind goes through. He talks about how that the mind has to ponder and contemplate. So in any given situation, when you're first learning these teachings, when you're moving from this unenlightened mind to this enlightened mind, there's this transitionary period where you're bringing this wisdom into the mind, these new teachings about right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, this whole Eightfold Path. You're learning it and kind of soaking it into the mind. And then in any given situation, you've really got to slow down and think about all those five factors of well-spoken speech before you actually speak and make sure that your word choice and your tone and your tempo and everything that you need to be speaking with is really coming through. So you really need to contemplate and ponder. The more you do that, the more wisdom that's going to get soaked into the mind. And you're going to start seeing certain word choices and certain ways that you approach conversations are just working. And it's working here and it's working there. Oh, this one didn't work. It only worked a little bit. So I need to refine that. You go through this pondering and contemplating. But eventually, as the mind continues to transition through this period, you get closer and closer to enlightenment where the wisdom is so steeped in because you've done all this pondering and contemplating that now it just becomes first nature for you to practice things like right speech all the time. It's no longer a burden. It's no longer a struggle. It's no longer a lot of effort or energy for you to ramp up your practice because you're already operating on these teachings and you've done so so well through this period of time of pondering and contemplating. Well, you can't do that if you're trying to rush around and do many things at one time. You can't go through that transitionary period where you're pondering and contemplating. I use the word reflect. You need to have reflection. You need to have an inner looking eye where you're looking in at the wisdom of these teachings and what you're learning. And then you need to practice them in the world so that you can see that they're truth. And it's only when you develop this awareness of mind and slow the mind down that you can then go through this period of reflection this pondering and contemplating and move the mind closer and closer to enlightenment through gaining more and more wisdom of seeing these teachings actually work in the real life. All right. Thanks, Dr. David. I have one more question, and that is, do you have any advice for eliminating attachment to food and overeating? Because clearly we need to eat food. It's, it's not something we can just eliminate like we can with others. But what can we do to eliminate our attachment to food and are there any meditation practices we can incorporate as part of that? Okay, so in terms of meditation, it's this breathing mindfulness meditation because if there's craving, desire, attachment for food in general or for specific foods, 
it's because of craving desire attachment that aspect of the mind that has this longing with a strong eagerness so it's breathing mindfulness meditation doing that continuously that's going to help to antidote or remedy that problem as well as practicing generosity which we've talked about in previous classes but then in terms of eliminating certain cravings for food in general or specific foods you need to gradually move the mind away if you're noticing that the mind is longing or having the strong eagerness for it let's just say chocolate right there's nothing wrong with eating chocolate you can eat chocolate but the problem is is if the mind craves it or desires it or has attachment it has this mental longing with a strong eagerness and now when it doesn't have the chocolate the mind becomes discontent the mind becomes sad anger frustrated irritated annoyed because i don't have my chocolate and if you're noticing that every time you have chocolate the mind is happy excited elated that's discontentedness too and you're just setting yourself up so if you allow the mind to have happiness excitement elation for a particular food or food in general then that happiness excitement elation someday is going to lead to sadness anger frustration annoyance irritation and all these other discontent feelings so if you're going to eliminate this what i suggest you do is you gradually eliminate this happiness excitement elation so that you ultimately eliminate this sadness anger frustration irritation as well so what you need to do is put more and more space gradually between times where you take on chocolate and you're going to have to go through a three or six month period where you kind of sporadically gradually move the mind away from longing and having the strong eagerness for chocolate so if you're used to eating chocolate every single day then you need to go where you eat it one day and you don't eat it the next day or you eat it for three days and you don't eat it for one day you eat it for three days you don't eat it for one day and then you eat it for two days you don't eat it for one day you eat it for two days you don't eat it for one day then you you know maybe eat it for two days you don't eat it for two days you eat it for two days you don't eat it for two days right so you kind of gradually move the mind to the point where you don't eat it for multiple weeks or maybe even months at a time then once you notice that the mind no longer has this outward searching and craving for chocolate that it no longer looks at chocolate as i gotta have it in order to be happy excited and elated then you can always move back and start eating chocolate again because you've eliminated this aspect of the mind where it's now longing and having the strong eagerness for chocolate so it's not that there's anything wrong with the chocolate by itself this is where people oftentimes misunderstand attachment they think that you have to eliminate boyfriends and girlfriends or you have to eliminate children out of your life or you have to eliminate jobs or you have to eliminate a car or possessions you don't have to eliminate these possessions and these relationships or things like food what you have to eliminate is how the mind relates to it that this mental longing and strong eagerness the way that the mind longs for it it wants it it expects it you have to eliminate that and you might have to go through this period where you gradually ease the mind away from something whether it's chocolate whether it's facebook whether it's always spending time with a particular person 
you're going to have to ease your mind away from these craving desires attachments and prove to the mind that you can go an extended period of time without it. And it's going to take a gradual easing off of it. Then go for a long period without it. And now if you choose to decide to ingest some chocolate, for example, just go back to it slowly. Just have like one little piece of chocolate and see how the mind responds or reacts to it. So just have one piece of chocolate and then go two, three, four weeks with no chocolate again and then see how the mind reacts and then have two or three pieces of chocolate over a couple of days and then see how the mind reacts. You shouldn't attempt to go back to having chocolate every single day, but just kind of toy with the mind and kind of test it and see if now that you've gradually eased the mind off of chocolate, you've gone to this long period of time without chocolate, now kind of test it and go back to it and just kind of see how the mind responds. Same thing if you're trying to move the mind away from social media or Facebook and what you're noticing is that the mind becomes very discontent, very angered, very frustrated when you see certain posts or you listen to the news and you hear things that you don't particularly like and it incites anger and frustration in the mind. Ease the mind away gradually in the same way that I described doing that with chocolate. Then go for a period of time where you don't experience and you don't engage with Facebook or social media or the news or what have you. Go for an extended period of time and then kind of go back to it for just a couple of hours and kind of see what happens and then cut it out of your life for a week or two or three and then go back to it again and kind of test the mind and see if you've eliminated this mental longing. If you go back to it for a couple of hours or you have that chocolate and then for the next week or two, your mind is just like, oh, when is the next chocolate? When is the next chocolate? Or when can I get back on Facebook? When can I get back in Facebook? That's the mindfulness. That's the awareness of mind. If you're observing this craving where the mind is just almost obsessing or just constantly thinking about chocolate or constantly thinking about going back to Facebook or watching the news and the mind's just curious, what's going on in the world? What's going on in the world? I just need to know what's going on in the world. This is the craving desire attachment and you've got to eliminate that. It doesn't mean you can't ever eat chocolate again. It doesn't mean you can't ever use Facebook or you can't ever watch the news. You've just got to eliminate this longing and strong eagerness because then the mind can ingest chocolate and be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, whether you have chocolate or whether you don't have chocolate. And if you use Facebook, the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And if you don't use Facebook, the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. If you watch the news, it can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And if you don't watch the news, it can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But you're never going to know that if you don't kind of ease the mind off of it gradually, then go for a long period of time without it, training the mind to go without it, and then gradually reintroduce it and see how the mind reacts to that reintroduction of the chocolate or Facebook or the news or something like that. And once you learn this process of doing it with something like chocolate or Facebook or the news, it's just a matter of repeating the same methodology or the same way of eliminating attachments with every other attachment that you've got in your life. So as your mind becomes discontent and you're noticing 
discontentedness because of a particular situation or a particular event and you identify the attachment, now that you know this process of how to eliminate them, now you just apply the same process to this new attachment. And now you've got your way of doing it and you can just, boom, start picking apart these attachments one by one and gradually move the mind to where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content all the time. It's just satisfied with what is. I know in the book, David, one of the things you say about giving up attachments is to reflect on what the negatives are, the full scope of what those impacts are. And one thing I've noticed in testing the mind, say with, for example, coffee, I might go for a whole week without a coffee as I'm gradually eliminating that from my life. But then when I finally have a coffee, to then observe the effects on the mind mm-hmm. and even into the next day to see that there's, there's still a little bit of craving there and actually there's a bit of discontentedness now because the mind's not getting what it wants. And to really make the link and, and see the direct result of what not having what you want is producing, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that thing was making me this discontent and that all of that was coming just from this one attachment. Yeah, if I wasn't convinced I had to get rid of it before, I am now because now I see the full impact of it. And so coming back to it after a period of abstinence can actually really highlight why it's worth eliminating. Yeah, and there are certain attachments like coffee that you'll just eliminate 100% and you'll never go back to it because you're trying to get rid of that caffeine, that substance that causes heedlessness or like alcohol or drugs or or something like this, you have a certain craving, desire, attachment, and you just need to get it out of your life 100%. But something like, let's just say you had a a craving for apple pie, right? (laughs) You just like, you just eat apple pie all the time. There's nothing wrong with apple pie. It's not going to cause any problems in the physical body or to the mind, or it's not a substance that causes heedlessness, but the mind can be attached to it. So going through that period of time where you don't ingest it at all and then ultimately go back to it can observe through mindfulness, awareness of mind. And you wouldn't be able to see, Max, those subtleties of that discontentedness if you didn't have mindfulness. Because we think about discontentedness in terms of anger and frustration, irritation, annoyance, you know, this happiness, excitement, elation, boredom, loneliness, but there can be this subtle underlying discontentedness that I know you're familiar with that is just kind of like resonating there. It's just kind of like a little hum that kind of sits there. You're not frustrated, you're not angered, but just the mind is just, uh, it's just something's a little bit off there. It's just not feeling quite peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And you wouldn't feel and experience that little hum of discontentedness if you didn't have awareness of mind. So that's why through breathing mindfulness meditation, we're always cultivating this awareness of mind and you get better and better at that through multiple sessions and dedicating multiple sessions over your life that you can eliminate this outward searching, craving, desire, attachment and cultivate this awareness of mind. We have a comment from Manal. She says, once you have advanced significantly in daily practice, it seems that anything non-essential to your practice just becomes entertainment of some form, be it eating tasty food, watching movies or TV, being intimate with your partner, 
distance music, etc. Yeah, you know, you get to a certain point where it's just like these things don't have the same significance in your life that they once did, right? Like at one time, you know, as soon as the new movie came out, you know, you needed to rush to the movie theater and you had to see that movie. And that made you feel good inside. You felt happy and excited. And now you can go to work and talk to all your friends about this new movie you saw. Where once you learn these teachings and you start practicing them well, it's like, yeah, I could go see the movie and that would be interesting. But there's not this burning desire to go do certain things or be involved in certain activities. And this is a shift for the mind because the mind is used to this burning desire and passion and just pushing, 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 pushing. And now the mind becomes softened and it becomes content and peaceful with just whatever happens. And this is a transition for the mind to get comfortable with that it, it's not used to. It's used to driving, driving, driving and pushing, pushing, pushing and having all these activities. And the mind is used to occupying the time in your day with all these activities because oftentimes the way people subvert boredom and loneliness is to fill your life with this entertainment or conversations or activities and it's just filling up your life with all these activities so the mind is never at rest and that's the way some people try to circumvent boredom and loneliness but as you develop with these teachings and you can just be at rest and the mind can just be still and there is no boredom, loneliness, there is no sadness or anger, there's no excitement or elation. It's just kind of here in the present moment and just peaceful, calm, serene and content with joy. And this takes time for the mind to feel comfortable on this new operating system. You know, we talk about moving from the unenlightened mind to the enlightened mind is upgrading the operating system in the computer. You've got to get comfortable in this new operating system. And these certain things that once had so much meaning and so much significance in your life, you'll notice that, ah, you know, I can do those things and I'll be fine, or I cannot do them and I can be fine too. And that's moving closer to the enlightened mind, just being satisfied with what is. And since every moment is an opportunity to practice, David, where can these kinds of activities fit in? You know, watching films, hanging out with our family, perhaps. How can we best practice in those moments? Up to you. You know, I watch films here and there, and the choice of things that I watch you know, tends to change. But I watch different things. I, I don't do it for fun or to eliminate boredom or loneliness. Those things are already long gone. But I just do it just to see what's going on in the world. You know, I keep up on U.S. news and what's going on there. I don't really discuss it with anybody, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, how the people in the U.S. are doing. What are they facing? What's day to day life like? I'll watch Thai news and see what's going on in Thailand. I'll watch other countries news every once in a while just to see what's going on in the world. I'll um, watch uh, different programs about different topics that are interesting to me. And I'm not doing it for entertainment or for enjoyment, but just for information. By the time you move closer and closer to enlightenment, you're all about wisdom and learning things in the world. So your choice of what you choose to watch or choose to digest in terms of media will probably evolve where you'll be more interested in gaining wisdom about things that are going on in the world versus just pure entertainment, for example. 
Okay, thank you, David. We have no more questions. Okay, so what I would like to do is encourage you guys to do this meditation every day, at least once a day. And if you can build up to two or three times a day, that's wonderful. What you'll notice is in the morning, it kind of sets up your day really nice. In the middle of the day, it kind of really ensures that anything that's gone on, you can just kind of clear that out from the mind. And in the evening, it really helps to kind of ease the mind down into sleep so you can get some really good quality sleep. So doing breathing mindfulness meditation is the foundation of your practice. When I talk about foundational aspects or foundational practices in these teachings that are building a foundation for your practice, breathing mindfulness meditation is a foundation that you need to be practicing regularly to actively train the mind in the direction of enlightenment. And then next week on Wednesday, we're going to do loving kindness meditation, which is the second form of meditation that everyone would need in order to attain enlightenment. It's only these two meditations that are really required in order to attain enlightenment. So by learning just these two, you can really deepen your understanding of these particular meditations and ensure you're getting lots of benefit out of them. On Sunday, this Sunday, we're in chapter 11 where we're going to be really deeply diving into meditation and all the different aspects of a meditation practice so that you can develop your practice. So in preparation for Sunday, if you'd like to read or listen to the audiobook prior to Sunday, you can do that. Or if you would like to participate in the class first and then read the chapter, you can do that as well. Or you might do it both times, before and after. But this Sunday is all about meditation. So between today, Sunday, and next Wednesday, you will have a real deep dive into meditation and what's actually needed in order to start training the mind into meditation. So that eighth step of the Eightfold Path, right concentration, it's all about meditation. And then, of course, right mindfulness and right effort, which are the six and seven steps of the Eightfold Path, those are kind of part of what we're cultivating here as well. So there's benefits from these meditations that influence the rest of the path, but it's really that eighth step, right, concentration that we're going to be focusing on today, next Sunday, and then next Wednesday as well. So practice this. If you've been doing other types of meditations prior to learning with me, if you just set those things aside for now and just really focus on doing these meditations so that you can see that these meditations are going to benefit you because these are what Gautama Buddha taught as part of his teachings and his original source teachings, he teaches these forms of meditations. And he was the fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha. So in terms of learning how to attain enlightenment, learning and doing what he did is going to produce the best results. So if you're doing any other types of meditation, just set those aside for now and just really focus on these for the coming weeks and notice the benefits that you get from them. So until next time, I'll just wish you guys a very great, wonderful day. Remember to develop your meditation practice and have a wonderful, wonderful day and a wonderful rest of your week. I'll see you on Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time and then Wednesday at 9 o'clock Thai time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. 
To access more teachings, visit BuddhaDailyWisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.